0: Welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty.
1: Hello
2: again, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of the Focus on Customer Service podcast. I am Dan Gingas, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, British Dan, Dan Moriarty. How's it going, Dan?
0: Good, Dan. How are you doing, man?
2: I could not be more excited, uh, Dan, <laughs> because you probably know this about me, and certainly anyone I went to high school or grammar school with knows this about me, but if asked to describe Dan Gingis in like three words, two words, I guarantee you that most people that I know would say Cubs fan as one of the top things, and so uh, I am so excited to be able to introduce Kevin Segi, who is the manager of communications for the Chicago Cubs. How are you, Kevin.
1: Doing really well. Thanks for having me on, Dan's. Well, we are so excited to have you. And
2: why don't you start a little bit? I mean, a, a baseball team may not be the most obvious choice for a customer service podcast. So tell us a little bit about you and your role and kind of how the team is organized over at the Cubs.
1: So I'm manager of communications with the team. And I kind of wear two hats here one is on the traditional PR front, working with media. And then the other is social media. So I manage our social media efforts with the club. If I had to summarize like, my responsibility here in a nutshell, it's really to protect the Cubs' reputation and make sure that you know we're servicing our fans you know, in, in the neighborhood, you know, at the ballpark, what have you. So a lot of that comes into play with what we're going to talk about tonight. Our team, we have a great team. There's a few of us that really have our hands on the accounts. And then we work closely with our marketing department on a lot of the planned social posts that you see promoting club initiatives, as well as Major League Baseball on uh, league initiatives.
2: And so what channels do you cover?
1: So we are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, Google+, Pinterest. Uh, we got into Snapchat last year and hoping to build out a more sustained presence this season. I think you mentioned Pinterest. And then we've dabbled in Tumblr a little bit but not a priority there
0: and kevin you said you said your kind of overarching goal is protecting the cubs reputation can you talk a bit about how social care really plays into that for you
1: sure yeah we've had a lot of discussions about the brand overall and then what how that plays out as a brand voice and not just social media but in all of our communications so here at the cubs we've got we call it the IMC model, it's integrated marketing communications, and we should have a consistent voice. So you as a fan, whether you're getting our community report or you know, a ticketing letter or quote in a press release, you should see a similar voice from us. On social that plays out a little bit differently. As you can imagine, it's you know, a little edgier, a little wittier. So we've had a lot of conversations about how comfortable are we You know, being humorous and witty and funny, yet still wanting to be helpful, friendly, and some of those values that we've really held on to since we launched social media. So I can tell you, we've got executive buy-in on our voice. If you follow the team, you may have seen that there's a pretty dramatic shift in our approach over the last year. I'd say most would say for the better. And we're very engaging. We respond to fans. We use GIFs. You know, we use a little humor. But there's a little risk anytime you try to, you know, ramp up your voice and be a little edgy. So to our executive team's credit, they bought into that, and you know, they trust our team with the brand's reputation. And frankly, we've like invited them to come to us if we ever do anything that pushes the envelope too far, so that we can always dial it back if needed.
2: So let's dive into that a little bit, Kevin, because we had on a couple episodes ago that had a social for UFC, for Ultimate Fighting Championship, and and I think it was a similar situation in that there's sort of this line between... Uh, what you would call fan engagement, people that are just excited to talk about and with the Cubs, Mm -hmm. and and my guess is for whom it's a big deal to receive a response, and then you have people that actually do have a problem. Um, It could be a ticketing problem or something happening at the ballpark. How do you approach both of those, and kind of if you can give us an idea, uh, you don't have to give us numbers, but maybe percentages of like the the incoming messages that you get, how much of them are, are engagement versus service?
1: Yeah, I'd say the, the, pardon me, the vast majority would be engagement, but there are some very serious customer service issues that I come across, and there's some very simple ones. We pride ourselves on responding to all of them. We use social media as a tool for engagement and service, and took a lot of pride last year. Fangraphs did a study on all the Major League Baseball teams and found that the Cubs send the most individual responses to our fans out of every team in baseball. That's a stat we're really, really proud of. So what that means is, Dan, you could be at the game in the upper deck and tweet to us, you know, I'm in section 411. Where's the closest cheeseburger stand? And someone from our team will look that up and respond to you with the answer. It may also mean that You know, you are having a pretty serious issue that, frankly, should go deeper than uh, 140 characters. And in those cases, if we pick up on, you know, that you're having a hard time or that there's a longer conversation that needs to be had, we may follow you and shoot you a DM with either our information or someone that we've reached out to inside the front office on the customer service front so that you could solve that problem, you know, as you need to. Uh, with the right folks so there are some conversations that just probably shouldn't be had in a public forum uh, one tweet at a time so you know we'll we'll help out those folks too though
0: kevin you said said something interesting there about being at a game wanting to you know have have some kind of real-time information what's your response times like during games and do you guys have to kind of staff around them uh, from a social perspective yeah
1: we do staff around it so we have a few of us that are watching the feed generally we have one person in charge of game updates so we've got our core purpose on social media of filling that appetite for game updates and behind the scene footage and replays and things like that so we have someone staffed across all platforms to provide that he or she is also monitoring the mentions and then we have usually a couple of us on duty inside the park you know, waiting to handle those issues and respond to fans, and then also do in-the-park engagement. So beyond just being reactive, one of the coolest things you can do, let's say, Dan, you're a big Cubs fan, but you're just new to social media, and you tweet that you're at Wrigley Field for the first time or you're at Wrigley Field for your birthday, but you didn't tag at Cubs, something that you can do that's really powerful, and we love doing this, is just searching for mentions of Wrigley Field that don't include the club Because we will find some of those, reach out to you and say, where are you sitting? We'd love to come visit. And then I'll actually come out with a small gift say, happy birthday, and meet you in person. And those are the kind of interactions that really leave a lasting legacy. Because then you go tell your friends about that, right? You didn't even ask for anything by tweeting to the team. We found you. And that's pretty powerful as a brand.
2: That's an awesome example, and absolutely that that builds a kind of loyalty that you know literally lasts a lifetime so I, I'm interested in a little bit organizationally you sit in the PR department is that right?
1: yep, that's correct on
2: the communications team so how do you balance you know you must get Thousands of questions from people that are things that a, a PR person would probably get very nervous at, and that you know you can't comment on, like you know trade suggestions and contract issues and everything that fans want to talk about. So how do you engage when you can't answer the question?
1: Yeah, there are some things I think with any company that you know you necessarily can't touch on. In baseball, there is this unique setup where there could be a trade that's rumored or a free agent signing and the deal needs to be finalized, whether it's league approval or physicals that need to be passed and the contract signed. And usually there's a couple day window there. It's very rare that we're actually breaking our own news. So that is an interesting time. And it's funny because, so I'll use Jason Hayward as a recent example. You know, I got out there uh, that Jason Hayward was signing with us. So they we can do some things like put, just post little teasers out there, and maybe it's a smile emoji or something, but it's not directly referencing what the news is. Because the reality is that deal could fall through, so we don't want to send anything official. But you can kind of coyly acknowledge what's happening. And then the day of the Jason Hayward press conference, I actually took on the image, our, our foul polls have an image that says, you know, it says, hey, hey, for Jack Brickhouse's famous saying. So I took that, I Instagrammed it, I said, hey, hey, we have some exciting news today playing on, like, Hayward. Everyone knew what that meant. It got chatter going early on in the morning. And then once we held the press conference and made it official, then I could share the the news. So a lot of times it's just our team needing to be creative to kind of bridge that gap.
2: All right, so be honest. How often have you found out about news via Twitter before you heard about it for the front office?
1: Uh, it does happen. I wish I could tell you that I knew everything that was coming down the pike before it hits Twitter. But frankly, a lot of us at the team find out because the agent may leak it to a small group of reporters or something before anyone from the team you know, has a chance to see it. So it is fairly common to see news pick up. And then uh, I'll be on the phone right away with our internal folks to confirm it.
0: How about the flip side of that question, Kevin? Is there in the last couple of years, has there ever been a, a big story involving the Cubs that didn't break on Twitter before you guys had a press conference?
1: There have been, and I'm trying to remember. If I can recall, I believe the uh, Anthony Rizzo, Andrew Kashner trade, I believe we broke that one. That's a, a while back. But, uh, and then I, I want to say maybe the Matt Garza trade too. There have been a few big ones that more so on the trade side that we've pulled off and we've broken
0: the news. Which one's more fun for you, when it's kind of out there or when it's you guys really breaking it?
1: Oh, it's a lot more fun when we're breaking the news.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You said something at the start I wanted to push on a little bit, which was, I can't remember your exact words, but you said you had to kind of go to your executive team and get buy-in to, to staff social the way you do for responding.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, can you talk a bit about what that conversation looked like? So, like, you know, what were you asking for? What were you saying the outcomes that the business return would be for them? Sure. So we
1: came into the year knowing that our team was going to be a little bit better. We had a young, exciting squad, promising talent, and for the first time in a little while, we were able to really focus on the team. Uh, The year prior, Wrigley Field turned 100 years old, so that was really the focus of our marketing efforts. So it was time for a shift in our approach. So what we did in spring training we tested out some of the voice, um, and it might be a clever interaction with a couple teams or you know just a new take using gifs or emojis that maybe we weren't doing before. That kind of matched the, you know, the fun and excitement of a, of a better team. We took that content, ran the analytics behind it and found that our engagement just about doubled on average with the, the new approach. So we, we took that data, we took the examples, and then we took the suite of like digital graphics that we wanted to use and put that into a presentation and pitched that to our executive leadership team. So it was a very coordinated approach. It wasn't just an ad hoc, hey, we want to do this. We think it'd be fun. Yes. Uh, we we came in with metrics behind it. And that allowed me to say, you know, we think there's tremendous upside here. We can really drive engagement, which drives a bigger following. And when we need to support our business initiatives, we will have a larger base to communicate to when we do need to send those sales messages. And so here's the upside. The downside is not everyone is going to find everything we send to be funny. So there is some risk associated with that. And I kind of asked everyone in that room to, to buy into the new approach and the upside and our judgment. And really open the door and say, hey, if you know, if, if we ever push your comfort zone, by all means, let us know. And we had some conversations like that over the course of the season. Nothing drastic, but uh, some things that just needed to be explained and some things that were valid concerns. But it went really well, and we finished, you know, top three, top five in all of our major platforms and engagement as a result. And obviously part of that's, um, you know, carried by the team performance.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but we like to think we had something to do with it too. Winning (laughs) solves a lot of problems. It sure sure. does. So I want to shift a
2: little bit because this is a a customer service podcast and I, I want to kind of go back to the kinds of Service questions that you get in social media, and both just if you could give us some examples, I think that would help, but also um, whether those questions differ from other channels. Is there like a, a, a different audience on social media than maybe people that call your uh, ticket line or something like that on the phone?
1: Some examples may be simple one offs like when do tickets go on sale, and it's easy for us to reply February 26th with a link, those are the easy ones. Other times, it may be someone who needs handicap-accessible seating, and that's, you know, an area where we'd love to have someone on our fan services team. Um, I could reply with a a simple answer. However, it's probably better to add a personal touch in that situation and actually get on the phone and walk through with someone. Here are your different options, and we'd love to, you know, help you pick out the tickets uh, and handle that process for them. So again, it just kind of depends on on what the fan is looking for, and then unfortunately, you know, someone may have a, a rough experience, or you know, they lost their ticket, or they were sold a counterfeit ticket, and you know, we may need our security team to speak with them. So it really runs the gamut, and I've, I might be omitting part of the second part of your question, Dan. Forgive me if I uh, didn't cover it all.
2: No, that was a good answer. And you also referenced before uh, with the example about the person having the birthday. And so from a service perspective, how empowered are you and your team to resolve problems? Are are you able to go as far as issuing a new ticket or do you need to go to somebody else to do that? Or if somebody's having a, a problem in the stadium, you mentioned, you know, walking down to them. So where does, how much are you able to solve problems that you know without having to sort of call to a higher authority
1: yeah we have a good amount of autonomy and now i'm remembering the second half of your question so this will come full circle what we don't want to do though is alienate the fans who do call in or approach us in a different setting and i think you see some industries you know you may call the service hotline and get nowhere you sit on the phone for hours or you get rejections via email. And then if you send a tweet to the company, voila, your problem solved. And, uh, you know, I think we try to avoid that inconsistency. And hopefully whether you're calling us, you're emailing us, you're approaching our fan services team in person, or you're tweeting to us, you're getting the same level of great service. So that's kind of one area that regardless of what demographic you fall in, you know, we try to just be consistent there.
0: Kevin, what does it look? So, a lot of what you've been talking about is kind of game day, right? What happens in and around the stadium, pre, during, and post a game? What about off season? Like, how active are you guys having to be? I'm guessing your volume drops significantly from operations yeah, perspective, but from a customer service perspective, is there still <laughs> is there still a decent amount of volume coming through? Or Is this, is this off season for you as well?
1: Yeah, it's, it, the volume does decrease. You'll see more. In-season, it makes sense, right? You have more game content. In the off-season, it's more of our editorial calendar of team initiatives, whether it's things that are going on sale or our charity involvement. You know, we have to focus more on having a schedule of content to keep our outlets populated. So the volume does drop, and typically the service requests come in related to whatever initiatives we have. So if we just put a concert on sale, Fans may have questions on pre-sale details. If you're a season ticket holder, you know, what time is my pre-sale? And some of those requests, you know, they have reps that they can call or email in, inside the front office. So a lot of times we defer to the reps because, they, again, they can have those conversations versus carrying that thread out in a public forum.
0: So, so do you, just to build on that, do you let the reps respond on Twitter or do you literally just do you ask the rep to call the season ticket holder directly? How does that work?
1: Generally, we will ask the rep to call them directly. So I might, if I can tell who the person is, I might walk over and just tell the rep, hey, I'm having an exchange. You may want to call or email them or, you know, I may reply to the the person and, you know, just say, hey, that, that's a question your rep can answer. Feel free to give them a call.
2: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And in those cases, do you still respond in the social channel so that others can see that you resolved the issue
1: yeah yeah i think that's especially that's the reputation that we've tried to build that we are helpful and responsive so even if that initial response is hey you know we're happy to help we just followed you and sent a dm at least you see as a a fan of the team and a follower that the cubs are being helpful and you know we're responsive and doing our best
0: and Kevin, how are you going kind about of scaling this i mean what what technologies are you using? How do you make sure that with a multiple person team you're not responding to the same person twice? Things like that yeah a lot of a lot
1: of communication, whether it's uh via email or you know in person with each other, we'll kind of tag on and tag off the accounts to make sure we're not double dipping. So we we post a lot of our content through Adobe, which isn't necessarily the best engagement platform. So a lot of what we do is you know native or via Hootsuite as well. But it's just very clear communication among our team when it, one of us is handling an issue to let the others know that we're on it.
2: We're talking right. with Kevin Seige, who is the manager of communications for the Chicago Cubs. And Kevin... We always like to ask people about some memorable interactions with their customers. And I assume that you probably have a very long list full, but would you be willing yeah. to uh, to share a couple that particularly stick out to you with, with so many interactions every day?
1: Yeah, Dan, you're right about that list. So I'm going to struggle to pick out a few. One recent one from this season that kind of stood out in terms of we were talking about the voice and being a little controversial. One stood out to me. I don't know if you remember this one, but There was a kid that kept tweeting to us, and he was asking for a Kyle Schwarber jersey, and we said no. And then he was thrilled. We found out that we just responded. He's a high school kid, and we said no again. He said, like, can I have the jersey? And then we said, okay, DM us your info, and we weren't following him. So he said, like, I can't. We're not following you, or you're not following me. We're like, oh, that's a shame. And it was (laughs) – It was kind of a savage response, you know, according to some of our followers. And it's all in fun. But this goes to the theme of, like, not everyone finds everything funny. The majority of our followers who know us and get our, like, club sense of humor thought it was great. And we actually got, like, some articles on it about how it's funny. However, I will tell you, I actually got an email to our fan services team about how, you know, we shouldn't treat our fans that way. And that was pretty pretty eye-opening for me because, again, it was just a reminder that folks don't necessarily find that humorous. What really happened, the rest of the story, was we got a nice letter from that gentleman's aunt who told us that he just kept tweeting to us because he's an excited Young Cubs fan, couldn't believe his favorite team was replying. He didn't know what else to say, so he basically just kept like saying the same thing over and over again and was like thrilled to see what we replied with turns out he had gone through some rough times, was coming out of them. So we actually wound up sending him that Schwarber jersey and a ball, an autographed ball that he then tweeted it out. And those are the stories that, you know, we sent a handwritten card from our whole social team and said, like, we're just, we're thrilled to interact with you. We're sorry if, uh, you know, he got a lot of publicity out of that one for getting kind of like shot down by the account and, You know, a part of me was disappointed that the follow-up on that story didn't get told very much, but that's not why we do it. You know, we want to make sure that our fans are being treated right. So that was a funny recent one from the postseason. One more that stands out, and this is a little bit of a long story, but there was a hashtag circulating on the account a couple years ago. And in my mentions, I just kept seeing this hashtag Flint Strong, Flint Strong, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I eventually tracked it down to a high schooler. His name was Joey. And I told him to have his friend stop tweeting at us. (laughs) I said, let's get to the bottom of this. And it turns out he wanted to get on his favorite team's radar. His aunt was terminally ill, and he didn't know what he wanted. He just knew he wanted the Cubs to do something for her. Great kid. So we got in touch. It turns out all of his family was traveling from all over the country to Chicago to see her. So we brought her out to the ballpark on an off day. And this is atypical of what we can usually provide. So I'll just say that up front. But um, she was in a wheelchair, and we brought her in through the right field gate. We walked around the warning track with her and her family. And uh, you could tell she was struggling health-wise. And it was really powerful. I was giving kind of a nickel tour of, like, pointing out different aspects of the ballpark. And when we turned to center field, we put – At the time, we had the LED boards, you know, all around the the infield and outfield, and I'd gotten family photos, and we kind of flipped the switch and put family photos up all across the ballpark, and uh, my eyes are getting a little misty even telling this story, but that was her last good day, and her family will always remember that, and it was just a really powerful moment. We all kind of lost it, you know, once uh, they saw their family photos on Wrigley Field, that started with tweets, and her family and I. We stay in touch. Joey's a good kid. He's actually going to college for broadcasting, and I've been able to stay in touch and help him with his career a little bit. That's a pretty powerful moment, and we could talk for another twenty minutes on stories like that that I'm really, really proud of that we can do.
2: That's awesome, Kevin. Great, fantastic story, and you know I couldn't help but think that. One of the challenges with somebody in your role is that you have to pick and choose, right? You can't do that for everybody that asks, but there is a skill to kind of identifying that right person in that right moment, and it sounds like you guys have that down pretty well,
1: yeah, we try and it's you're right, Dan it's hard um especially as we get better and there's more you know there's more requests, you do kind of have to sort out the the well intentioned ones with the asks that maybe don't have as much uh, good meaning behind them. So it it is a tough act sometimes, a a tough juggling act. But but we really do our best. And and the reality is some of these stories never see the light of day in terms of coverage or publicity, and that's okay. I think the word of mouth and those deep, impactful connections that those fans do make, that really matters, and that spreads word of mouth. And sometimes they get visibility, sometimes they don't, and, and we're
0: okay with that. Yes, amazing stuff, Kevin. I wanted to ask you a question we ask every guest, which is so you see you've been doing this for a year now. it sounds like um hardcore social care response. What do you wish you'd known a year ago that you know now, having been through it for a season?
1: Oh boy, that's a deep question well, I'll caveat at that we've we've always tried to be pretty helpful and responsive, Dan on our. Okay. You know, Sorry. I'd say we've kind of gone into like hyperactive mode in the last you know year, as you mm-hmm. reference, but it is something we've always strived for. Something I wish really I just some of the humor and some of the approaches we've tried to take. You know, there are some days we'd take back uh, on on social where you try to be witty and funny and uh, it leads to getting shot down or, you know, maybe offending someone. So I think when you have this approach, eventually you're going to make some missteps. And there are some one off cases that we take back. But in general, it's it's gone really well our fan base has just gone wild over the approach and how we treat our fans. So I did not expect the club account to gain such a a personality that it has almost its own rabid following. And that's something that we're really proud that we've built and I don't know that it's something that I could have expected, but it's, it's pretty cool to sit here and be able to tell you that today. So we're we're hoping just to keep it going and protect everyone's view of the organization, our reputation. And, and hopefully, if you're a Cubs fan, you love the guys on the field and you also love interacting with us online.
2: I think that's a great thing to point out, Kevin. And, and we've talked with other brands that try out humor as well. And, you know, humor is one of those things that when it works, it just works gangbusters. But it is a risk because not everybody has the same sense of humor. And and clearly you're not ever intending to offend anybody. But that's the risk of using humor. But being an active follower of your account, I think you guys use it in a very good way. And even if you're poking fun at other teams, for example, you can tell that it's in good fun. It's not malicious. And so I think that you guys have got the right cadence there, but certainly to to other brands, it, it is something that you have to know that you're getting
1: right before you really go out there and try it. Right. Absolutely. And I appreciate that feedback. Thank you.
2: So usually that's our last question, Kevin, but I, I mean, obviously I cannot let you out of here without asking <laughs> you what – is going to happen in 2016 and and what is your outlook for the cubs and this upcoming season
1: oh gosh your your uh, podcast could make me infamous here if i put too hard of a stick in the ground you know we our campaign is let's go that's our marketing campaign we're continuing it and um it basically captures the sentiment of we're ready to we turned a corner we've got the pieces in place So let's go. Let's get it done. This is the greatest journey in sports history and we want to see it through to completion. I'm not willing to put a stake in the ground to say it's going to happen this year for sure, but you can go out and read some pretty interesting articles about how we're positioned going into this year. So we feel pretty good about it. We're very excited for the season to start and hopefully uh, we'll be here in October celebrating with you.
2: Well, you definitely have the bullseye on your back this year, and it'll be interesting to see how the team responds to that. But I will say, as a as a fan going into last year, my singular hope was that the team be fun to watch. And holy cow, did it deliver on that. And I, I think it will deliver again this year, and I do think that, that the fans are at a point where... Yes, everybody wants to, as you say, see it through completion, but whether it's this year or next year, it takes a couple of years, I think everybody feels like it's on the right track, and that's that's what's made it so fun. So yes, I certainly hope that uh, we'll be celebrating again in October. It was very fun to do so this year. I don't think I got to tell you that I grabbed a friend and we drove out to Pittsburgh for the one-game playoff. He couldn't stay overnight because he had to work the next day. And so we went to the game and we drove back. So about a 14, 15-hour round trip uh, (laughs) that night just to go to that game. And and it was, of course, well, well worth it. And then I took the family down to St. Louis to see uh, a winning game down there as well. So it was a ton of fun.
1: Yeah, that was an experience of a lifetime. I wish wish everyone knew what it was like to get sprayed with champagne on the job. It's a pretty cool feeling. So very, very blessed to be here.
2: Yeah, you're definitely the first person that we've uh, interviewed who's gotten that happen to them during <laughs> during the job. So congrats. Well, thanks again for joining us, uh, Kevin uh, Segi, Manager of Communications for the Cubs. You can find the Cubs, of course, on all of the social media channels that uh, Kevin mentioned before, and on Twitter at. C-U-B-S Cubs. And with that, uh, we're going to wrap up episode 26 of the Focus on Customer Service podcast. As always, we have a hashtag as well. It's F-O-C-S. It stands for Focus on Customer Service. And if you have a brand that you would like us to interview for the podcast, please reach out to us via Twitter and we'd be happy to have them on a future episode. Kevin, thank you so much uh, for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it.
2: And uh, on behalf of my British pal, Dan Moriarty, who, if he wasn't a baseball fan before this episode, is definitely one now. This is Dan Gingus, and we'll see
0: you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast presented by Social Media Today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS. And follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at dgingus and at I am Dan Moriarty. See you next time.